the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app, tell them who you like, and you'll have personalized content at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy snowy Sunday, November 20th. 77 inches here in Buffalo. Hopefully not for you. Definitely not for you because that's a record. <laughs> and uh, we are surviving. The Bills have already beaten a pretty good-looking Browns team with Jacoby Brissett today. So all is well in Buffalo. That's all we need to know. The snow has subsided, and the Bills have won. A little bit of football off the top here. We're going to talk about some 2023 finances, salary cap stuff, league stuff, team stuff, top of the list, bottom of the list. Some of the more intriguing teams to watch as we finish off 2022 and head towards the offseason. And then I'll do a quick roundup on Major League Baseball's free agency situation and or lack thereof. Some non-tenders, some trade possibilities, and such. And then the fastest 30 seconds of soccer content ever. My World Cup prediction. A couple of gambling numbers and my official gamble on this year's 2022 World Cup, which started today with the host Qatar game and will really ramp up tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. Eastern time. If you want to get up for some soccer, a quick roundup on the World Cup at the back end of this show. And we'll be back to it again on Wednesday. Hope you enjoy. All right, as Thanksgiving week approaches, it's always a turning point for me at Track because I, start, I continue to enjoy the current NFL season, but I really start to ramp up and focus on what's coming which is the 2023 offseason. Not too much. I'm not going to get crazy about it. You know, I know I spit out a lot of draft pick stuff, and it's all way too early, but it is the right time to start thinking about 2023 rosters. I've been um, really working to finalize and, and specify some of this cap space stuff. The, uh, uh, we'll get started with this. I have absolutely no idea where this salary cap is going to be next year. I've been asked a lot. For intents and purposes, we are holding at $218 million. That's what the site currently projects the 2023 league cap to be. And the only reason it's there is because before COVID, we got a steady diet of $10 million increases. So we're sitting at 208.2 right now. We're projecting 218.2 next year. Logic says, you know, after the COVID stuff that came in better than more, right? The pandemic stuff, they safe-proofed it a little bit. I think they did marginally, maybe reasonably better than they thought they were going to, which is good. You want to be over budget. And then obviously the TV deals, which the streaming stuff's been, you know, Amazon came out of nowhere with this Thursday night stuff. There's just been a lot to it and they're not even done because League Pass is going to get, uh, the, the, it's going to get signed by somebody, Apple, Amazon, one of them's going to, going to gobble that thing up. So we're not even done with, with the, just the media rights streaming stuff. Now, I know that there's going to be a COVID payback process. They borrowed from the future to be able to tolerate and manage the current. And that's a good plan. And this is a very, very similar to path what the NBA has gone down before. And when the NBA finally caught up, and oh, by the way, found out they were way ahead because... <laughs> of the globalization process because of just everything. It's been a hell of a 15 year run for the NBA, financially speaking, on and off the court. The NFL is obviously neck and neck, if not 
more profitable in every way possible. The NBA took a salary cap jump that was so reckless and so dangerous that it literally it changed the competitive balance of the sport. There were certain teams that were able to buy big because they just lined up properly with their cap space situation, with their 18-month tank. There were some, you know, whispers that this thing could happen, and some of the teams certainly put themselves in position to benefit if it did, but the league let it happen. The balloon cap happened, certain teams benefited, and really those teams continue to benefit even now, years, years later. There's no way the NFL can do this. So I'm going to stay and hold true to the 218. If this thing gets to 220, maybe even 225, which I'm hearing quite a bit a lot, we'll change. But the numbers you're looking at right now for 2023 on Spot Track are based on 218.2. So let's talk about those numbers because there are certain teams at the top and the bottom of this cap tracker list for 2023 that are worth discussing, positive or negative. Everybody's already probably in tune to the fact that the Bears have a boatload of space. Of course they do. They traded everybody. They're working with a rookie quarterback. They've got basically no worthy contract on this book right now. Eddie Jackson is really the, the one guy, and he's playing well. And I wouldn't put him in any kind of roster bubble situation unless they're just looking to rip this bandit off this, this year. I don't know that you can say that about the Bears, and that's really why they're worth discussing in November 20th. They're not winning ball games, but they're damn close, and they're very watchable. They feel like the team that's a year away from being a year away, and that's an okay position to be in. What it means you don't do is rip this thing all the way down. If you've got four or five pieces that you know you can build around, especially at big positions. Now, I'm not sure they have a pass rusher. I'm not sure they have a left tackle. But there are certain things in place right now that I think you can rely on at least for the next three to five years. And that's what you're talking about here. You're not talking about a decade. How do we get this thing to be a semblance of contention, at least in the division, in the next three years? Especially with Kirk Cousins' contract, one year remaining, the Aaron Rodgers stuff, crazy unknown. And Detroit's kind of spinning the reels, winning a couple, losing a couple. They look great. They look ugly. That's, that's not a team you have to really deal with on a week-to-week basis. So the Bears are in a really good spot here. If they can push a couple of buttons properly, both in the draft and with this cap space, to become quasi-contenders, is that fair? At least divisional contenders. Let's put it that way. It's a decent free agent class. There's not going to be a wide receiver out there that you love, which makes a second round pick for Chase Claypool, which at the end of the year, we may look back and say, what the hell? But knowing what's coming free agent wise, I think I'm okay with it. Now, you want to tell me they should have used the second round pick to draft a wide receiver? Okay. But taking the risk on two years left of Chase Claypool without having to pay a signing bonus, right? You're getting just base salary Chase Claypool for a second-round pick. I, I think it's, it, there's a real good chance it's, ch- it's chess instead of checkers. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one because that's, that's at least a WR2, maybe three box that's checked. Mooney's checked. He's on this list, right? Komet we now think is checked. That's already three weapons. We think the Herbert running back is a check for the next couple of years once he gets back to full health. Montgomery's a free agent. The offensive line has to be rebuilt from the ground up. We know that. But there's some checks here. 
you know, and they've got, they're going to have significant draft capital. They're going to have a high first round pick to fill probably one of those defensive slash offensive line holes. So it's a real good spot. And anyone who's sitting here looking at the cap tracker, like I am, nothing stands out more than the bears at one sixteen point three projected top 51 next year. That's what it is. And that's only on the two eighteen. If this thing goes to two twenty five. You're talking about almost 200, almost 124 million of cap space. That's a lot, a lot of dollars to move around. That's without restructures. That's without extensions. They do have a significant amount of free agents. And if they like some of these players, you start to think about bringing them back, maybe even signing them right now. But it's a good spot for this team to be in. And if you look at the number two team, now it's 60 million less than the Bears, but it's still $66 million for the Atlanta Falcons. The first place Atlanta Falcons who don't have a quarterback. They don't. They don't have a, a second wide receiver. And they traded him to Jacksonville, by the way, and Calvin Ridley for more draft capital. So I think we know where Atlanta's headed here. Okay? Now, they may give 2023 all to Desmond Ritter. They might. They might draft a quarterback. They might do both. What they're definitely going to do is fix this defense. And I do believe that this offense is going to look a hell of a lot the same sans Marcus Mariota, who I think they're going to have to punt on, take the cap space, and just move forward with. And either draft slash slot in Ritter while they work on the defense. This team is not ready to win significant real ball games. They're just not because of that defense. They're, they're playing way ahead of their skis right now. And... I give them all the credit in the world. This was projected to be one of the bottom three teams in all of football, and they're certainly not that. So there's a lot of positive things happening, I think certainly with coaching as well. But they, they can't look at this and say, we are good to go. They can't, because that's not how they should, should be, be operating right now over the next two seasons. It's defensive fix, then it's buy a couple of weapons, hopefully we have our quarterback, and if we don't, then we start looking to drop in the quarterback with this ready-made team. They're just a little backwards right now, maybe, maybe going through a couple of bounces going their way. But this is not a team that should be thinking about contention. It's just not. So when we start looking at what this team is right now, financially speaking, the two teams I've just referenced with the most cap space headed for 2023 are also the dead cap leaders for 2022. And for the Bears, it's not even close. The Bears now have $90.4 million of dead cap. Okay, 90.4 for 2022. The Falcons are second with 80. So it's not an accident what's happening here from a roster construction standpoint. What might be a bit of an accident, or at least a little bit of a luck, is that both these teams look pretty darn good on the field. And certainly in Atlanta's case, it's turned in some significant wins. I don't think that it's sustainable. That's my point of this conversation. But financially speaking, I'm not sure they want it to be sustainable. They want to make wholesale changes to certain, to certain areas, and they need to to really get this thing to the finish line, at least in terms of what their milestones are. The next milestone might be. Now, Houston, different story. Totally different story. But these two teams specifically at the top of the cap tracker for next year, ridiculously unique. You want to throw the Giants into this conversation? That's perfectly fine as well. The Giants are third right now with projected $52 million of top 51 cap space. So, Again, uh, a first-place division-contending team with room to grow next year, financially speaking. Now, there's a quarterback situation there. 
Daniel Jones is a pending free agent. So that cap space comes without a quarterback. And it also comes without a star running back. So, and by the way, they probably don't love their wide receivers right now as well. It's Darius Slayton, maybe their best one, also a pending free agent. So you could talk me into a situation where QB1, RB1, and W are on one right now on this roster are headed for free agency. So if, you, if, you, if the $52 million in cap space is intriguing to you, it could be 20 before we even finish this conversation if they think about retaining those kind, of, those kind of players, especially if the Daniel Jones situation is a franchise tag, which is $30 million plus. Now, the Barkley tag is about 12 and a half. That's a ding, but it's sustainable in the, current, in the current landscape right now. But it's pretty fascinating to have those three teams right now projected to carry the top cap space. If I give you the top five, it really doesn't get any less intriguing. The Bears, the Falcons, the Giants, the Patriots, and the Bengals. These are not bad teams. They're not. Now, the Bears look bad from a record standpoint, but anybody who's watched them understands what I'm talking about here. The, the other four are literally in division contention. The Falcons at the top, the Giants near the top, the Patriots now tied with the Jets after week 11. Right there with Buffalo and Miami for all intents. And the Bengals are going to be the Bengals this year. Not exactly what they were last year. Bengals got a couple of bounces their way last year. They're not getting those bounces just yet in 2022. If I give you the sixth team, it's the Seahawks. Again, no quarterback on that roster. Geno Smith tag would cost you 30 million plus or at least 29 for the transition tag, right? So kind of jaded there if we're looking at the Giants and the Bengals specific, or the Seahawks specifically. But pretty interesting to have those six teams. If I keep going, if I just give you the top 10, which is really what this segment was going to be in the first place, Bears, Falcons, Giants, Patriots, Bengals, Seahawks, Texans, all right, finally some normalcy, right? Bad team with a decent amount of cap space heading into the next year. Ravens, eight. All right, but no quarterback. Raiders, nine. Really interesting. I talked about them last week on the show. You know where I stand on things. That's a team that could say, all right, we just have to give this one more go, especially with the coach and with Adams, with Carr, with Waller, with Renfro, certainly with Crosby, who's playing his mind out. We can, we can retain everybody and add to it, and restructure, and add even more to it. The Raiders are really a team to watch from this, because if they decide that they, that they like each other more than we like them, or than, the, than their record shows at least, they could be active and dangerously financially motivated. I love that kind of situation. So that's one I'm glued in on for the next couple of months. And then 10 is Indy, and who knows? Because just when I thought they were doing the business side of things right, they completely reverted and changed course on everything they said they were going to do and everything they actually did for a week and a half. And now I'm not sure what they're supposed to be doing. What I do know is Matt Ryan's going to cost them $12 million next year, no matter what. So that's a team that has pieces, a lot of injured pieces. And maybe like the Raiders just say, we're just going to run this thing back as much as possible. And then we'll blow it to smithereens if we have to. Very possible. But it's not the standard worst teams in football sitting with the most cap space. Not. There are teams that have tried from the bottom to push some chips in, right? That's Carolina. That's the Rams continuing to do that. The Jets to some degree, and it's worked for them. Washington, it's worked for them. 
Jacksonville to some degree. Big offseason, as we talked about, $400, $500 million in total value contract. Let's go to the bottom real quick. If I gave you 100 guesses at who has the least amount of cap space heading into 2023, or any season for that matter, (laughs) would you pick the Saints 100 times? Because you should. It's an annual tradition unlike any other. The Saints have negative 63 against a $218 million cap for next year. Not 100-something like it was this past offseason, but it's the most in football, or the least in football, however we want to look at it. It's $13 million more in the hole than the Buccaneers, who are just loaded with void years. Loaded, including 30-some of which belongs to Brady. I believe it's 35 without looking right now. And that's going away. Because Tom Brady, I think, is going to want to hit free agency. It's very possible that Tom Brady wants to hit free agency and join another contender if he doesn't want to hang up the cleats. There's $35.1 million of dead cap from voidable years set to hit the Buccaneers' 2023 salary cap table. So that's a factor, okay? And there's quite a few contracts like that on the roster. Many teams have done this over the past few seasons since the pandemic. The Buccaneers are about to see what happens when it all hits and changes have to be made. Now, I'm not counting them out. We're sitting atop that MC South right now. So there's absolutely no way we can say it was a total, complete disaster of a move. It looked like it a couple of weeks ago when Brady was completely complacent and the coaching staff doesn't appear to be synced up with what's happening. But buyer beware is what I'm saying with Tampa Bay. And by the way, New Orleans is in the same boat here. You know, they're winning some weird ball games. They don't have a quarterback. They don't. And Jameis is on a contract next year. The cap spikes. They'd restructure him to keep him, but they can't even put him on the field right now. And Andy Dalton has been serviceable at a much cheaper cost. So where is this team going for their next quarterback? Because they tried like hell to get Deshaun Watson. I have to imagine they're going to try like hell to upgrade some kind of veteran process this offseason, whether that's Jimmy, whether that's Derek Carr, if he becomes available. I guess Geno Smith is in this conversation to some degree. There's going to be some options. They're not great options. Is Andy Dalton the quarterback next year? Possibly. It's very possible. But they certainly don't have draft picks. Let's put it that way. Because they, uh, they are antsy and they love to maneuver. And God bless them for it. So the Saints are at where they belong at the bottom of this cap table. The Buccaneers have been all in for a year and a half, two years here. And that's what you get now. And like I mentioned, Jacksonville, third least cap space in all of football heading towards 2023. So will they give up on a couple of these contracts? Yes because they just signed too many players to keep everybody. So there's going to be a couple of one-and-done situations. I'm not going to give those names out just yet. I'm working on the roster bubble piece right now, at least version 1.0. We'll have plenty more to talk about when that gets finalized, at least to some degree. But Jacksonville being that low on the list is fascinating as hell, because that's a team that generally looks like it and says, all right, we are a couple of pieces away from winning. We're just got to get over the hump. Does anybody feel that's what Jacksonville is? Because that's what their finances tell me, having done this now for a decade plus. That's what their finances and the business layout says. We're all in now. We just got to find that one or two final piece, right? Those glue guys or that one weapon or that one defensive hellraiser to get us over the hump. The problem for me is I'm not sure Trevor Lawrence is even the guy. And I'm not sure Jacksonville knows it either. 
So they're pot invested on a situation that they might want to be, be getting out of within 18 months. Fascinating team to be at the bottom of this list. Tennessee's fourth lowest, and I get it. They paid the running back again. I think they're going to restructure and pay him one more time. Why the hell would you not? No matter what happens elsewhere. You're deficient at wide receiver. You're deficient at tight end. You had a bunch of injuries in the middle of that defense, which I think you can recover from next year without doing too much. You're going to have to pay Simmons a boatload of money on the defensive line. And then you got a quarterback problem because I think Malik Willis looks exactly like we thought he was going to look, which is not NFL ready. Maybe he gets there to some degree as a backup. And Ryan Tannehill looks serviceable again, but his cap number is gigantic. And they're going to have to guarantee that salary to do anything about it. Now it's an expiring contract for Tannehill next year. So you could run this out to be a, an Alex Smith, a, a Jimmy G, a, a Matt Ryan type thing where we just say, hey, you know, we're not long for each other here, but we just want to run this out one more time. We're going to keep Henry in the fold. We're going to upgrade the offensive line a little bit through the draft. We're going to try to maneuver and keep this thing because, look, the rest of the division is kind of a crapshoot right now. So we can sort of go through the motions some, some a bit from a business standpoint and just get this thing in contention from a division standpoint. So I, Ryan Tannehill has been atop of all of my roster bubble lists, at least internally and on the site for a long time now, because this is the year where they were supposed to cut it off at the head and not look back. And now I'm second guessing that almost entirely, almost hundred percent. And then I think there's a really good chance he makes his $27 million next year. And the cap hit of 36.6 most for the most part sticks. Now they need the cap space. So you could pop on a couple more void years, something they've already done to this contract and do another restructure. It just gets dangerous because if they know that their chips are all in for 2023, how badly do you want to have to reset yourself in 2024 with void years and dead cap, as I mentioned with Tampa Bay and Brady? It's probably worth it in the end, and I'm probably overreacting some bit. But I think, to me, the biggest surprise of this segment, this discussion, for me personally, is that Ryan Tannehill, who was at the top of my cut list, the very, very tippy, tippy top of my cut list, maybe neck and neck with Ezekiel Elliott, let's put it that way, is now completely off it. And I can't even imagine them getting rid of Ryan Tannehill because it just doesn't make sense. If Willis could play a little bit, and obviously the sample size is ridiculously small and I'm judging objectively, but I think I have to because they already have a guy in front of him and all they have to do is not release him and he'll be the starting quarterback because he's going to outplay Malik Willis in practice every day and twice on Sunday. So that's the biggest turnaround for me, at least right now. It's early. This is like the big week where I start to push into this stuff. But as of right now, the top of the cap and the, and the bottom of the cap table for 2023 is intriguing as hell. And the teams that are low in cap space, the Saints, it, unbelievable question mark. Tampa Bay will be an unbelievable question mark if and when Brady leaves, which I anticipate he does in some capacity. Jacksonville doesn't belong in this negative cap space world yet because they're simply not ready to do this. And Tennessee probably does belong here, even though I, had, I did not believe that they should be here now. That's how it looks. Everything else is kind of normal. The Vikings are down there. The Bills are down there. The Chargers are down there. Okay? And if we start rolling in some of these off-season contracts, right? Is Burrow going to get signed and screw things up? Is Herbert going to sign and screw things up? Just remember that especially when you're talking rookie extensions and you're talking year four, year five of those rookie contracts, for the most part, 
if you sign quarterbacks, especially to six-year extensions, that's an eight-year contract, which means you can move cap all over the place, keeping next year's cap hit relatively low, maybe even cap neutral, maybe even cap savings based on that rookie contract number. So don't think that the Chargers having negative 16 right now means they can't sign Justin Herbert. They absolutely can and will sign Justin Herbert, and it really won't have any impact on their cap. In fact, it may benefit them to do it. It's the other, it's the others, right? <laughs> this, is in, this is a quarterback and the others league now. So I have to start dictating it that way from a business standpoint. I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about a bunch of quarterbacks getting tossed around. What I will say is, and I've said it already, if your team has a ton of cap space at the top of this table, do you have a quarterback under contract? Because if you don't, then you don't have a ton of cap space. Seattle, right? The Giants. There's a lot of work to be done in that regard. And it, even a franchise tag, especially a franchise tag, can change things extremely quickly. So that's a quick look at the top and the bottom. We'll have plenty more here as the standings change this year, as teams maybe identify themselves a little bit more heading towards this winter offseason. And then obviously, as I do more of the work inside these rosters with bubble players, some of the positional stuff, I can tell you right now, you are going to get a heavy dose of running back stuff on this, on this podcast over the next couple of months because the wide receiver situation we just had, while the wide receivers offered us a ton of money along with all the names, the running backs just aren't going to do that. And then nothing can change that anymore. Not even the great year from Barkley or the, you know, the, like I said, an extension for Derrick Henry, maybe a rework for McCaffrey in San Francisco. Nothing that we're talking about here is going to be huge, huge money. But there's a load of running backs that need either new contracts, may get released and then redone out of their current contracts, are trade possibilities, just a load. Maybe one per team when it's all said and done on average but huge, huge names that could really impact rosters for 2023 and forward. So you're going to get a heavy dose of that this offseason. That's going to be the buzz position heading into the offseason with this NFL 2023 league year. As I mentioned, coming out of the gate here, it's not going to come out of the gate. <laughs> Major League Baseball free agency is a slow walking marathon. And every so often you turn a corner and you find a couple of people sprinting as hard as possible, right? We had the Mets out of the gate with Edwin Diaz. And uh, I think that, you know, triggered some people to, to get all amped up for what could be happening. And then it just calmed right back down. And then Anthony Rizzo had a nice little extension and that got things going. And then, you know, the Braves did a couple more of the little nickel and dimers, which is just so important to that roster. And, and I'm jealous. I'm really jealous what the Braves have done here. But it's coming. There's just too many names in this list, either the free agent list, the trade possibility list, um, even the non-tender situation this past couple of days was intriguing. And if you follow baseball even a little bit, you know that some of the names thrown out there with Cody Bellinger being the top one are going to draw some, some really big interest. So we do have some street free agents now to add to the list that can at least ramp things up a bit. I do think we're still on pause mode here. You're going to see some smaller contracts come in, uh, you know, especially your smaller teams that are just trying to retain some players. The 40 men are all pretty fairly decently set. There's a lot of teams running under 40. Let's put it that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you want to be able to waiver claim. You want to be able to do some small things as, as needed. The Mets and Padres now sit at the bottom with 33 players on the 40 man. The Astros and White Sox are right behind them. There's four teams in all of Major League Baseball with exactly 40 on their 40 man roster. The Angels being one of them, which I don't agree with. Angels. 
come on, give yourself a chance here to at least maneuver. I hope that means there's trades coming because that to me is what the discussion should be, not the free agency. Yep, there's tons of shortstops and Aaron Judge and Justin Verlander and Jacob DeGrom and all these big names. It's going to be great in small doses over the next three months. But I really do think the trade stuff's going to ramp up. I really do. We've seen a little bit of it with the Twins and uh, the Mariners, and the Mariners won't be done, in my opinion. I think the Blue Jays are going to continue to shift some things. They made kind of the big trade so far with that Teoscar Hernandez move out west. But trading home runs for pitch and depth, that's the oldest thing in the book. And it couldn't be more important right now to the current game, the current state of the game. Couldn't be more important. There are teams like my Mets who need 30 home runs. And if they don't want to pay $150 million on the market for it, and they don't want to take a chance on a player who's done it once in his career, you're going to start identifying teams that don't need slash shouldn't really be dealing with players that they have to overpay for in arbitration that can mash the ball out of the park 30, 35, 40 times a year. And by the way, there's now two dozen of those guys in the league. So I do think we're in a really good spot right now for maybe the early winter months to become trade city. And we have those owners meetings, December 5th, 6th, 7th, I think. I'm not looking at it, but I believe that's the dates. And that's when all this happens, right? We get some beers together. We talk about it. Things start to percolate. And, oh, this guy for that guy. Or you really need this guy next year? Or what are you, you going to pay this guy after next year? What are you doing with him? You know, what's your long-term plan? That's when the discussions really start to happen. Eyeballs in room, bantering back and forth, the actual owner's hot stove, essentially. That's when the trades start. And I do think we'll have a, di- a good six weeks where a bunch of smaller trades facilitate then free agent signings because a lot of this I'm not ready to sign a player yet is well maybe I can acquire somebody instead or maybe I can move somebody off my roster and shed a little payroll which allows me to go an extra year on Aaron Judge or an extra year on Jacob DeGrom those kind of things obviously have to happen from a business standpoint because we just don't have teams in this sport specifically that are going all in financially there's one but the Dodgers even the Dodgers are dialing it back even the Dodgers had a price point with Cody Bellinger where it was just too much, and that price point was $18 million. So um, everybody right now is thinking slim back a little bit so that we can make a big splash at some point over the next three months. It's a fascinating offseason if you really love this sport. If you are a window watcher with this one and you kind of drop in on baseball on the 4th of July and maybe for the playoffs, you don't even know it is free agency. And I don't blame you. Okay, it's just the nature of how this sport is built. They don't make it a thing. It's not a show. There's not tweets constantly running about Major League Baseball free agency. It's just not built for entertainment. Like the draft, which takes forever, it is just a marathon. And for those of us that kind of choose to dive into it every single day, you really have to work hard. And for those who do, I applaud you and I'm with you and I will try my best to shed to light, especially with our newsletters and things like that, as much of this as possible, even the smallest, most inconsequential signing, I will do my best to make sure it gets to the light with Twitter, with the newsletter, with these podcast episodes, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes segments like this. We got to keep this thing going because it really is a big Major League Baseball offseason. It's a big one. Huge pitchers. The Mets are talking to Verlander. The Mets are talking to Judge. The Angels already added pitching. Does that mean they're going to keep their roster and maybe add more to it? 
Is Trey Turner going back to the Dodgers? Is Trey Turner going to the Phillies and make, make them an absolute NL contender? There's a lot of storylines coming off of this, right? Houston's trying to retain themselves and become a, a back-to-back champion here. That has not worked out well for the other sports recently. And the Mets are going to have a $300 million payroll. So there will be some you know, flair to this offseason. You will see some NBA-type stuff come into this, which is fascinating, good for everybody, terrifying for Mets fans. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And finally, something we never talk about in this episode, on this podcast, but I'm going to do it because I'm a huge fan. I'm a coach and I watch this stuff more than I've ever admitted out loud, but I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan. And obviously this is day one of the World Cup. We had an Ecuador win over Qatar. I'm not going to be watching that kind of stuff, right? Especially when there's NFL and other things going on. What I'm going to watch are some of these bigger teams. And I'm obviously invested from a, from a gambling standpoint as well. So I just want to focus quickly on the favorites and throw out some numbers and I'm going to give you my prediction and we're going to get out of here, come back and talk some bigger sports later. Brazil, France, Argentina, your top three. England's right there. Spain's right there. Those are the, the, the usual suspects. Argentina is a little higher than normal right now. And I get it. They're kind of the darling pick, especially as you associate Messi to it. Um, you're going to have a lot with big names, marketable names, driving numbers up on these teams. There are, you are hard-pressed to find a dozen fans around you that watch international soccer when, when it's not the World Cup, when it's not the Olympics. It's just not normal. The name I'm looking at right now on this list is 28-1 to 1 Denmark. Premier League players all over the roster. Super strong defensive team. Really great goalie. Excellent midfield. That's the team I'm focusing on. A 28 to 1 in Denmark. Don't pick the chalk because chalk in the World Cup has not been friendly to you. Not in women's, not in men's. The way to go is to look down and do some research on these middling teams. So, from a soccer fan standpoint, I'm telling you right now Portugal's way too high priced with Ronaldo, a player who I think may be on his way out, probably headed to America soon to play soccer. Spain's a good bet at 8 to 1. It's just not enough value for me. Germany's a good bet at 10 to 1. That's probably the safer take here. But I'm going to go all the way down to Denmark. Like I said, 28 to 1, Denmark. That's my World Cup pick. Lock it in. Blame me when we lose. That's enough soccer for now. Keith Smith, our resident NBA expert, did a great piece on SpotTrack.com this week. It's about the disabled player exception in the NBA. If you're saying to yourself, what the hell is that? That's what this is about. It's an educational piece, decently you know, medium size, not something that's going to take you more than a cup of coffee to read. It's becoming increasingly important. It's about injured players that get injured prior to a season, generally without a basketball situation, although that's not a factor here. It can be a basketball injury. But if a player is going to miss the entire season, there are exceptions like this built in where a team can get a roster spot back. And that's really the importance of this exception. It's almost never about saving a ton of money. It's not about saving tax space if you're an NBA team. Now, there's some of that in certain instances. Keith does an incredible job of breaking down all these scenarios. And by the way, this is a really difficult exception to get granted. This is not something the NBA has handed out flippantly over the years, but it's been very important in certain instances. And, you know, as these AAU kids keep coming up, we're seeing more and more injuries. It's just the 
The one sport athletes are coming up. They've got so much wear and tear on, on singular muscles and singular, you know, ligaments that I don't think it's, an, it's a mistake that we're seeing superstar players get hurt young. And that's a multi-sport conversation. So something like this, where a team can replace a roster spot, something that's not easy to do in basketball. There's no injured reserve. There's no reserve list. It's either here's our 12, take it or leave it. And if three of those guys are injured or five of those guys have the flu, damn to be you. So this is a very important exception, maybe increasingly important, as I mentioned, and it's a very complicated exception. So we're lucky to have Keith breaking this thing down word by word in sort of an FAQ type of pattern. That's on SpotTrack.com right now. I will have a roster bubble NFL piece put together here very, very soon. That's my homework for this week, especially as I'll supplement some newsletter situations with that. If you haven't signed up for the SpotTrack newsletter, please do so on the SpotTrack.com. We're trying to do that every Tuesday, every Friday to supplement our podcast with a little bit more information just to keep you up to date. And like I said, on Major League Baseball free agency, NFL moves, NBA trades, as those will ramp up now with the December 15th trade restrictions sort of right around the corner, and obviously plenty more in the sports business world. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.